Hello and welcome to the season 10 finale of Modern Day Philosophers Long Awaited. And here it is. I have a great talent, a great talent. I feel like an old time talent manager. I got a great talent for you guys today. A wonderful talent. I got the opportunity to sit down with the extraordinary impressionist comedian, Elon Gold. I mean, his impressions are other level. He and there's another guy, Robert Kate, who I interviewed for next season, which is coming up soon. They just do just absolutely spot on impressions of the people that they're doing. And it's, uh, it's pretty, uh, it's intimidating to watch on some level as somebody who sometimes aspires to do impressions. I'm like, wow, this is a, they set the bar really high, these guys. And Elon's uh, impressions that he does on the show today, I think you would uh, be a liar not to agree that they're just some of the best impressions you'll ever hear. He's also a very deep thinker, a very funny guy, a very nice guy. I'd never sat down and talked to him before. I enjoyed it very much. I've known about him for years. We did some shows together many years ago in the city. Um, he didn't remember, but why would he? I was just starting out, and he was well into his career, And uh, but he was nice and uh, supportive. And I'm looking forward to you guys hearing the interview. It's it's a good one. Um I have two kids now. I don't know if I told you guys that. I have two girls, uh, Sophie and Ella. I have a film that just came out, Reconquistador. I've been working on it for years. It's a documentary about me going to Spain and tracing my Jewish roots there and doing stand-up in Barcelona. You can find out more about it at reconquistadormovie.com. And hopefully we'll bring it to a city near you. We just did a screening of it. Last night here in Santa Monica at the Lemley Theater, that went very well. And uh, I continue to make comic books. Fair enough comic books, now five issues out. Uh, Fair enough number five, illustrated by the wonderful Ellie Ziv, incredible artist. You can get those at fairenoughcomic.com. Without further ado, except for the intro song, I give you now my interview with the terrific Mr. Elon Gold. Enjoy. When Daniel Lobel was in school, he didn't pay any attention. He's older and wiser, he's learning philosophy with his comedian hench. People, each of whom is a wonderful sage in their own right as well. It's modern day philosophers. And now here's Daniel Lobel. Are you always this low energy? Usually lower. Really? No. <laughs> yeah, this is me. This is my energy. I could pick it up a little for you if it makes you more Do whatever you, you be you. And, um, <laughs> all right. I love that question. Are you always this low? <laughs> yeah. Let's, uh, let's save it for the air. Let's hit record. Did you record? We're recording. Is this officially starting or I never know how to start a podcast because it's really just a matter of it's up to us, right? Mm-hmm. And it starts when you start, right? You right. don't have to really officially start anything. Everything. But there is a recording happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I should have my radio voice on. <laughs> this is my radio voice. Uh, well, this is very exciting, Robin. Let me tell you something. Your Howard Stern impression is phenomenal. Thank you. Although um, last yesterday I was on the Adam Carolla show uh-huh. and he insulted it a little bit. No, no, no. Insulted it a little bit. No, no, no. Insulted it a little bit. No, Adam loves me. He goes, not the best, Howard. 
Something oh, like that. Really? I was doing well. There was a girl it's on. It's not an Vine. easy one to do. No, it's not easy. There was. A, I was the first to do it ever. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Fallon doesn't like me to this minute, even though he quote worshipped me as a kid, mm-hmm. and I met him at a at an at a. I actually met him at Judd Apatow's thirtieth birthday party, and he comes over to me. He's this kid. Mm-hmm. I mean, like a kid. And he's like, oh, man, oh, man, oh, Elon Gold, oh, man, oh, man, all your impressions, oh, man, Jeff Goldblum, mother. He just starts yelling all my impressions. Yeah. And then he goes, oh, man, you should be on SNL. And I was like, yeah, yeah, that'd be good. And then he goes, <laughs> and then he goes I want to be on SNL. Right. And I'm looking at this kid who maybe started doing stand-up a month ago. Uh-huh. He's like... 12, maybe, I don't know, 19, whatever he is, he looks 12. And I'm with my older brother, Stephen, who says to me, is, it, is this kid on Coke? Why is he so excited to meet you? Why is he so excited about you? Because nobody's excited about me, let's be honest. I'm excited to have you here. That's so nice, Daniel. But for the record, no one else is excited. And this will be your <laughs> lowest rated. If whatever it is you get, hundreds of thousands of uh-huh. streams and listens, this will be hundreds. It'll just be hundreds. It'll be like 300 Jews in Crown Heights that uh-huh. tune in and go, oh, we like him. Right. But uh, anyway, Fallon was going nuts over me. And again, this is before Fallon was anything. It was before he auditioned right. for SNL. And when he looked at me and he said, oh, man, I want to be on SNL. I just looked at him and went, okay, kid. Like, <laughs> so does everybody. Take it easy. I'm not right. that exciting to meet. You're not that talented. Little did I know he's one of the most talented people on earth. Uh-huh. And... Um, it's never going to happen. Just get out of here. But I didn't say any of that. Right. Instead, I smiled and went, oh, great. Good for you. Uh-huh. Yeah. But in my head, it went, you're an idiot. For uh-huh. two reasons. <laughs> Neither of us are getting SNL. Anyway, I tested for SNL. Almost got it. Like, was in the final eight people with Will Ferrell and all those guys. Wow. And then um, Jimmy, I don't know if you heard, he gets it. <laughs> Did he? Yeah. And I run into him at an SNL party and he goes, oh man, you got to teach me how to do your stern. And I'm like, no, I'm not right. giving you this impression that I cultivated and worked on and originated. When you figure out an impression that no one else has ever done, it is like having an observation in a stand-up bit, as you would know, that mm-hmm. you thought of before everyone else. You crack the code you on it. You crack the code on it, exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, of course everyone can now do Donald Trump because the first guy figured out that it's all about this and you gotta, and everything is a disaster or it's doing fantastic. And the, you know, and then the head motions, mm-hmm. you gotta move the head motions <laughs> very, very much like this. And I don't know if more people listen to this or are watching it, but if they're watching it, they see what I'm doing, they see what I'm doing. Yeah. And if they're listening to it, then they can, <laughs> then they can hear what I'm saying. And they know that I'm doing fantastic and that before I started doing this the podcast was a total disaster let's be honest it wasn't doing well it was not doing well before I got on it was here low energy low energy you were very low very low and then I came on and I'm doing I'm doing fantastic right and a lot of people anyway. I find when when I do a character or anything like that it opens up a different part of me as well like, absolutely you yeah. do you, you you delve into it and you channel this person like mm-hmm. my, one of my favorite people to do now and we'll get back to the Jimmy Fallon story is um, 
Jackie Mason because first of all now he passed away so it's like a tribute yeah you know every time I do him it's a tribute to his greatness and his legacy the sad thing is nobody knows who I'm doing oh really except at Jewish yeah Jewish events yeah Jewish events I've done Jackie Mason yeah but but if you do it and I tried this once about Maybe like just when he died, just as like I felt bad, just as a tribute. And I went up at the cellar and I went, I'm going to do Jackie tonight at the cellar. And they stared at me like, mm-hmm. I don't know what this is. But at a Jewish event, they applaud and everything. But when I do Jackie Mason, I feel like him. It's like, right, me too. to tell you the truth, it makes me doshes to think that a person such as myself, and I don't know if you heard about this, mister. Yeah, right. listening, yeah. And it's all in the breathing. He breathes it's all in the breathing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, then he, and then he emphasizes certain words. And then some words he doesn't. It's very good. It's probably better than mine. Well, obviously. obviously. <laughs> this is, a guy like uh, you could do uh, an impression. And by the way, that's not bad. But okay. a person in my position, it makes me nauseous. It makes me nauseous. Um, a guy like you would even attempt to do an impression of me. That's so, great. Yeah. Now... Every Jew and their mother has a Jackie Mason. Right. Did you know him? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Met a few times. Uh, brilliantly funny, always. I, like I worked was, for him for two years. I got to hear this. Can, yeah. I'm finishing one story, and I want to hear how yeah, you worked ahead. for him. Yeah. But I'll say this about him. One of those guys that was brilliantly funny on and off stage. Mm-hmm. I'm not that funny off stage. <clears throat> Modi's hilarious off stage. If yeah. you just hang with Modi, he lived here for a few years and he came to my house. I love Modi. Yeah, yeah. every Friday night for dinner without fail. And Can he, you do Modi? No, but someone is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, he, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, he, he literally would spritz and roast and riff for mm-hmm. hours, hours and... It was brilliant. Jackie's like that too. Mm-hmm. And like Jackie, there's a little anger there. With Jackie, there's a lot of anger. With Jackie, it's 90% 90% anger, anger and still <laughs> angry at Ed Sullivan from 40 years. Like right. anytime you'd sit with him, he'd bring, Ed Sullivan, that son of a bitch. And I'm like, wait, this is 40 years ago. Right. Now, you have to understand the difference between me and you and Jackie Mason is when someone bans you from television and you are have a hot career uh-huh. and you're doing all these late night things and all of a sudden it stops mm-hmm. and it's like Whoop. and for 20 years you're now relegated to the Catskills or these terrible gigs and and you're not on TV anymore. Mm-hmm. That's going to stay with you for life. It's like he took 20 years out, put him in prison, yeah. TV yeah. prison. Chayram, as we call it. In Chayram. Yeah. And he put him into that. So he's going to be resentful and but but there there's certain things you have to let go at certain times even though it's 20 years of your life i've had 20 years of my life taken away just by like show business going oh you had two sitcoms that both failed and were canceled we're not Mm -hmm. giving you another that's like it's been i don't know 16 17 years since i starred in my last sitcom so when i did when i last did a show with you was right after you did stacked Yes. Stacked was a show that Steve Levitan created. Steve Levitan mm-hmm. was coming off of Frasier, and then he created Just Shoot Me. Mm-hmm. And then he created Oliver Bean, a couple of other shows, and then Fox made Pam Anderson a deal to star in her own sitcom, because mm-hmm. when you think of situational comedy, you think of them, them those. Mm-hmm. When I say them and those, I'm not referring to her as the pronoun plural current them and those. I'm referring to the, the old them and those. The them and those yeah. that, that have probably changed a few times yes, over the years. Yes. Mm-hmm. But they made a deal with them and right. uh, to star in her own sitcom. By the way, Pam's wonderful. 
she's not just that or those. She's so much more. But anyway, they she's, brought she's, in. I once produced a show. Actually, Donnie at Stand Up New York yeah, great uh, guy. brought me onto it. The between, legend Donnie Zoldan, who started the Chosen Comedy Festival that's taken the world by storm. Right. He he brought me into it. It was a show between her and Rabbi Boteach. Love him too. Yeah. Rab Shmuley. Rab Shmuley Boteach. So I thought she was pretty. By the way, speaking of rabbis, just yesterday <laughs> yeah. in the morning, I went to a bris of a great, uh, of a grandson of a great <laughs> rabbi whose name I will not say because you have to guess. Who is it? Who was I doing? Um, that was Rabbi Heyer. From the Simon Wiesenthal Center, okay. Rabbi Marvin Heyer. He talks like this, and he's he's a he's a tzaddik. Right. He's an amazing guy. Right. He started this Wiesenthal Center Center by getting Frank Sinatra to get all his buddies to like give donations, and now we have this great you know museum where you could go see all sorts of genocides, not just ours. Yeah, I know it's mo- le- the least Jewish. It's uh, the least. <laughs> by the way, the, the Jewish museum is is down the street on Olympic, mm. the Museum of Lactose Intolerance. Right, folks, all this is good. You hear about this? Now I'm doing. Leno. How, how many rabbis can you do? I, I started by doing impressions. impressions of my teachers. So uh-huh. Rab- Rabbi Cohen from MTA was the first guy who talked like this. So you went to MTA. Yeah, and would say, "What does what does Gemara say? What is it? Why is it? Why is it? What is it?" You know, he just always ask a mm-hmm. hundred questions. But Rabbi Marvin Haya talks like the, you ever hear him talk. And he, he, because he runs the Wiesenthal Center mm-hmm. and he's won an Oscar, he's like in show business too. Mm-hmm. So he hires like these big stars to do the gala dinners. So he always is dropping big star names. Mm-hmm. So first he's like, he could be giving a Devar Torah. In this week's Pasha, <laughs> I remember it was Tom Cruise. Yeah. Who said to me, where did Moses go for 40 days? And then I saw Will Smith. And Will said to me, (laughs) he was in the mountain. You know, he just loves talking about uh, movie stars. Um, So you gave me a good lead in with the MTA stuff. So you. Wait, one second. So just to finish the Jimmy Fallon thing. Okay. He says to me, teach me how to do your Howard. Uh Uh-huh. And Howard was one of my guys. I was making a living off of doing impressions. Mm -hmm. And when you do impressions, you have like four, five, six, seven guys that are your guys that no one's ever done that you've, like you said, you found the hook. You, what'd you, what'd you call it? You cracked the code. You cracked the code of these guys. And it was like Howard Stern was a big one and Jeff Goldblum was a big one. And all these other, like Charles Grodin and Al Gore and all, like, here's a mensch. Daryl Hammond. I was just going to bring up Daryl Hammond. Daryl Hammond came over to me and said, Lorne asked me to do Al Gore, and I know you've been doing Gore for years. Hmm. So I'm trying so hard not to do your Gore. Mm -hmm. And literally while I'm doing it on SNL, I'm thinking, don't do Elon's Gore. That's a guy that's respectful of someone that cracked the code. Mm -hmm. Jimmy just goes, teach it to me. And I went, no, I can't just give away these few impressions that are my guys. And, you know, Kevin Pollack has his guys. They right. were, you know, William Shatner and blah, blah, blah. Right. Everyone has their guy. Frank, Frank Caliando has his guys, the, the John Maddens and mm-hmm. the, they, you all have your guys. So th- that was my guy. Mm-hmm. And I can't just give away my guy. That's my Parnassa. That's my income. That's right. my earning. So he got all pissed at me. He goes, you're not going to teach it to me? I'm like, no. He goes, well, Lauren's making me do it. So I'm going to do it anyway. And I'm like, okay, but I don't want to just 
teach you how to steal something from me. Right. I'd rather you just learn your own, find your own hook, and da 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 da. If you got to do it on SNL, I understand that. I won't be mad at you. Mm -hmm. They're asking you to do it. Do it. Right. But don't steal mine and don't ask me to do it. But in his defense, he was an immature little baby kid at the time. But you're saying he still resents you for that? So then, here's the crazy part. And if you don't love the sound of a Perrier can opening, then there's something wrong with you. Um, or the guzzle and the drinking. Here we go. It is a great can sound, isn't it? Oh, it's a good sound. Anyway. You don't get that from LaCroix. <laughs> I am sitting and watching uh, Fallon. He was doing the late night show when he took over for Letterman before the Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. And Daryl Hammond is a guest. And Jimmy goes, man, Oh, man, Daryl, I got to tell you, you were always so nice to me, man. You know, you would always help me. Da, 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 da. And he goes, man, when I was starting out, there was this one comedian. I asked him for help with an impression. He was like, no way, man, never. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, my God. You're sitting in David Letterman's throne. You are the host of Late Night with David Letterman that is now with Jimmy Fallon. Mm-hmm. I was at that moment sitting on a pull-out couch in my parents' apartment, having just come home from a Chabad of Upper West Side or whatever gala. Yeah. And I'm looking at the TV going, y- you're still mad about this? Mm-hmm. You've got a gripe to me? You have all the success in the world. I'm still out there struggling, pounding the pavement. Uh-huh. And it's like... And you're you're holding this against me because I didn't want to give away one of my guys. So, what was the point of that story? You're supposed to tell me that. I think the point is <laughs> that we all have our guys. So when you said to me, you found the Howard Stern right. thing, and you said Howard's very hard to do. Right? Yeah, it was hard to do. And when you were the first guy to do it, and don't forget, I did it on MTV, mm-hmm. and I asked my buddy again, and very unknown Dave Chappelle, to play Robin. Mm-hmm. And we did these sketches for MTV, and he was the funniest Robin. Hey, man, Howard, you know. Yeah. And I was, you know, uh, let me tell you something, Robin. And he wore these big, giant black uh, balloons as boobs. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and 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 we just did these sketches. Howard Stern saw this. He was only on in New York, tri-state area, and L.A. It wasn't nationwide before the book, before the movie, before everything. He saw this and flipped out. Uh, Robin, let me think. There's a guy out there. He's doing me, Robin. And then there's this other guy. He's doing you. And they didn't even know who I was, who Dave Chappelle was, but they didn't know. And uh-huh. so for Howard to see someone impersonate him, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. He knew Did you go on he made it. And then that? right away he goes, uh, yeah. Gary, get me this guy yeah. and uh, have him come on the show. And then I did it like the next day. I was like uh-huh. freaking out listening to that. So I guess after hearing all that, can you teach me how to do Howard Stern? It's very... Uh, you got to go very... So So old Howard was up here. Uh, lesbians, Robin. It was all about let. And now it's... I'm very low registered. Now mm-hmm. it's... Let me tell you something. Yeah. Uh, he's gotten much older. The pausing. Was. And there's a lot of pausing. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of thought that mm-hmm. goes into what he's saying. And he's probably the greatest interviewer of all time. Mm-hmm. No offense to you. None taken. Good. So... We're also smoking a Padron cigar here on the... Uh, Podcast bus. Yeah. I would think that a name more like Podbus would be better. Mm-hmm. I would have dropped the cast 
in podcast bust. And then just you wouldn't it. be able to do that nice big logo with you all know, the letters. Right. You know, you're right. This is why I, I'm not successful. I have some of the worst ideas ever. It's funny to hear you say that even as a joke, because I know you're saying it, you know, goofing on yourself. But I think you're, you, I see you as very successful. Am I? It's so nice did, of you to have... say that. And I think a lot of people, uh, other than me, my wife, my manager, think I'm successful. Mm -hmm. Like, I genuinely don't think I'm successful. Well, against your will, you're projecting success. That's nice. Yeah. And I'm doing successful things. Look, mm -hmm. we just sold out the Orpheum Theater. That when, looked phenomenal. Yeah. When yeah. Donnie Zoldan called me and said, do you think you and Modi can sell 4,200 seats on Coney Island at the amphitheater? And I went, no. And he said, what if we made it into like a Jewish comedy festival? Oh, like invite other comedians. Oh, and then with Jeff Ross and David Tell. Mm -hmm. Boom. By the way, it turns out me and Modi sold it out before we even announced the, the lineup pretty much. Like mm -hmm. it was like people but came to see us. Sounds like successful. You would think that, yeah. okay, if you can get a few thousand people to come see you, you are a success. You are a star. Mm -hmm. The truth is I'm a guy who makes an okay living. You can't compare me to anyone that owns a nursing home, but mm -hmm. I make an okay living. I feed my kids. I've got a house. They go to yeshiva and college and da, 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 da. Mm -hmm. And that's a nut every month. That's crazy. Right. But I'm not a star or a household name. Every pilot I did wasn't picked up or every TV show that was picked up was canceled. Yeah. I don't have that thing. Sure, I was on huge shows like Frasier, like Curb, Your Enthusiasm uh -huh. this yeah. season. Yeah. Did three episodes. But that doesn't make you a success. I I have successful moments in this career that is generally a failure. Mm -hmm. It's a genuine. It's well, basically it's, a failed career yeah. with all these really big high points. Yeah. Or you could look at it as a very successful career with a bunch of failures. Right. But when I walk out of this pod bus, and right. I'm still calling it a pod bus, no one will know me. Uh -huh. Actually, we're on Pico. Everyone will know Everyone's me here. Everyone's going to know you here. <laughs> no, yeah. so I'm Jewish famous. I mm -hmm. joke about that. And Chris Rock once said, you got to get your people first to be your fans, and then you cross over and go mm -hmm. mainstream and get the world. So I've had my people for years now, and I'm, I'm ready for everybody to just sort of recognize Oh, this is a guy with good bits and he's funny and da da da. I get the feeling, and I've I've been aware of you for a long time. I, I mentioned many years ago we, we even did a few shows together. Um, but I get the feeling like I remember them well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I get the feeling you're right on the cusp of it now. That's you know, from somebody who's That's so nice sitting there. I feel watching. like there's a bit of a turning point. Yeah, like you're yeah. watching it and you see that like, well, you're doing some big things. And I only see the things that get somewhere that you do. Right. right? So I don't see the lulls. Well, but exactly. When, when you start seeing right. the no successes one sees, more frequently. That's true. You start saying, oh, that guy. Yeah. You know? Again, he's, he's, another viral right. video, mm -hmm. another great appearance on Curb or on James Corden last mm -hmm. week. Yeah. Oh, he's doing stuff. Right. And doing stuff mm -hmm. well. Thank you. you. Know, like, well, really well, that's the key. So while I may not call myself a success, mm -hmm. I will say that what I am doing, I'm doing really well. I'm really nailing what mm -hmm. I'm doing and working hard at nailing like, what I'm I doing. I see a guy who's like really hitting his stride right now. That's so, that's, so nice. I yeah. feel like I'm at the top of my game. And let's yeah. hope that the crossover can happen because right. you never know what it is that just takes you to the next level. And... But again, you look at my number, you talk about like, what, 
just under 40,000 followers on Instagram. That is a failure of a person. I'm probably rooting for you harder than anybody because as so soon nice. as you become a huge success. I'm taking you with me. Well, oh, that'd be great. But yeah. more than that, a lot of Jewish gigs are going to open up. Oh. <laughs> I will be so busy. I don't have time right, for you. You're not going to be able to do uh, the Persian school that I did last night. We want discount. Yeah. That's all they called me about. Oh, your price too. Right. They, they couldn't believe my fee. And then they were like, and then I did a whole thing last night about how the week before Chosen Fest, before, because I live in Westwood, it's a very predominantly Persian community. Mm. Everyone was coming over to me, all my Persian neighbors, and going, "You have tickets for me? How much is ticket? How much? If I buy ticket, boy. yeah, if I buy ticket, <laughs> will you upgrade me? Like, what is this? A flight? Everything has to be discounted. Every, I think that now, yeah. now. Don't quote me on this, uh. but I have a theory that. The Jewish stereotype of being cheap, because I mm -hmm. firmly believe we are not cheap. Mm -hmm. Jews are not cheap. I have a whole bit about that. Mm -hmm. Cheap people don't spend. We spend. Asians are cheap. I don't know about that. Okay. I mean, Russell well, Peters, my good friend, has a bit about Indians being cheap. Pretty cheap. Okay. He says Indians are cheap. And we, you know, talk about that. And I go, it's funny because Jews have the stereotype. Mm -hmm. All I do is spend. All my friends do is spend. We spend more than we have. That's why we're all broke. Mm -hmm. And that's the opposite of cheap. Cheap is someone that hoards money, that doesn't spend, is tight with a penny, pinches pennies, counts. I don't count, pinch, or any. I just, I have it, I spend it. Mm -hmm. And it's just like... That stereotype is absolutely ridiculous, um, but my theory is that maybe a good portion of Persian Jews are a little tight with the dollar, and we got that stereotype because of them. Pawning it on to the Persians. I'm putting huh? it on the, not all Persians, <laughs> but some Persians, uh -huh. almost all that I've met. Mm -hmm. I can't account, I can't say that all Persians have a cheap issue, uh -huh. Uh -huh. but by the way, I'll never work for the Persians again. After this, they're going to, they're going to uh -huh. ban me from Persia. Persia. But because I've encountered so many Persians who ask for uh -huh. discount code right. and ask for half price, mm -hmm. and it, it to me, though, it's not insulting, just like them being late to everything. Right, Persian time. Persian time. Now, there's another example. Jews and black people, Jews and black people have that stereotype of being late. And we embrace it and we love it because it's not really insulting. Not the Ashkenazim. They're very on time. They're very on time. But here's mm -hmm. the thing. I'm, I'm putting this all together. The Jewish late thing, it's also the Persians that did this to us. <laughs> the Persians are the ones that are late yeah. and can be, some of them, uh -huh. a little tight. And now someone saw this and they saw maybe a Persian guy with a yarmulke being late and cheap all the time and said, ah, oh, the Jews, mm -hmm. they're always late and oh, so darn cheap. Right. It's because of... One guy looking at probably a group of Persians. Well, a lot of Persian gigs just opened up for me. Yeah, you're going to get so many. Listen, <laughs> I, love, I, I love, by the way, I I'll, love the Persians. I'll, 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 uh, I'll reveal this. Whenever I get asked to do a Persian function, I quote a little higher. You have to quote because higher because then they, to, then they feel good. It's a win gonna for them. They're not going to take it. They're like not going to take you the price oh, you quote, for yeah, sure. Just, you say 10000 yeah. but I'll do it for 5000 Oh, even oh, though your price was 4 I got him down. I got him down. But, you know, I want to say that I love the Persians. I love the Persians. And they did 
really some terrific things. You look at Westwood and it was a total disaster before they got there. <laughs> and they built it up and they bought it and built it and did so many wonderful things. And now Westwood's doing very well. Yeah. I do love the Persians and m- many of my neighbors and good friends are Persian. Is it, why do you like Westwood? I picked Westwood because we came from Manhattan and we just were scared because we didn't want we you were wanted a young to be around couple big buildings. I wanted to be around a doorman building. Uh-huh. I wanted to not have my wife at midnight come back with a key trying to open a door and then some guys behind for you. Yes. Yeah. Some guys behind her. Uh-huh. So I'm like, no, no, no. We feel comfy. Which is like, good, good evening, Steve. And then yeah. we walk in and there's a doorman. You pay for that, but right. it was comfortable. And this was yeah. at a time since everything's cyclical when there was high crime in L.A. Uh-huh. And now we're back. So, But it did die but down for a while. you feel safer with the doorman? Yeah, absolutely. He's the one body that goes before. Before you, you. do, yeah. <laughs> when you hear the bullets flying, you can, you have a time to run while yeah, he bleeds human, out. Human shield there. Yeah. Um, so you went to MTA and you grew up, I guess, in New York then? I know you came from a showbiz family, right? I wouldn't call it a showbiz family, but a very showbiz-centric family. Showbiz family sounds like I'm Stiller and Mira's son, Ben Stiller, or yeah, I'm yeah. Kirk Douglas's <laughs> son. Uh, my parents Showbiz were not. Ish. Yeah, ish. They were not movie stars. They were teachers uh-huh. in the South Bronx. And uh, my younger brother, Ari, who passed away very sadly of leukemia two years ago. Sorry. You. He, uh, he was a brilliant, super talented singer-songwriter. Big in the gay community. Speaking of Chris Rock getting your own audience first, he mm-hmm. got the gays big time. Okay. And had a little following in the gay world and put out beautiful music with a message. Was the first ever before Sam Smith, before everyone, to do love songs about other men, mm-hmm. which was unheard of. So, you know, he was what called. Was uh, this is years and years ago, 20 years ago. So he was called by Rolling Stone, Trailblazer, Pioneer, Billy Porter, who was his boyfriend for like three years, you know, gave a speech saying that, you know, I stand on the shoulders of Ari, who, you know, started all this stuff. Um, I mean, when even when I was very young, I was like being introduced to people like RuPaul and... Mm-hmm. Um, all these trans people who were like, I don't even know what a trans is. Like, you didn't even know that at the time. Like, Was what? it strange for you at that time? Oh, yeah. yeah. Really weird. I am not ashamed to say that seeing mm-hmm. a dude dressed up like a woman with big boobs was like, what's this? Mm-hmm. I wasn't judging them and I wasn't like hating on them. But I wasn't as loving and accepting as I am now because I was just confused by mm-hmm. it. I didn't get it. Right. Um I mean, when I was a kid as a heterosexual, I didn't get my brother coming out and going, what do you mean? You like balls? Mm-hmm. I said that to him right away. Nobody likes balls. <laughs> Even women don't like balls. The balls. Yeah, yeah the balls. <laughs> you like the balls? And he said, yes. Um, but so I didn't understand it. But there's mm-hmm. a difference between understanding and being intolerant of. I'm totally beyond tolerant. I'm mm-hmm. embracing and accepting and loving of all. But I didn't get it. And then when I would meet... You know, any of the uh, RuPaul or um, Laverne Cox is one of his best friends. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you meet them and you're in your whatever, 20s, whatever it is. And I'm just like, wow, this is so interesting. These people dress up like women. And okay, good for them. Mm -hmm. It's a little weird to me. I wouldn't do it. I don't enjoy putting on women's panties. You tried it? 
I have. No. Uh, <laughs> I probably would enjoy it. You might enjoy it. I might enjoy it. Don't knock it till you try it. But uh, so again, there's no judgment there, but there is a fascination and a weirdness to it. It's like, you know, there's, there's nothing worse than calling, uh, you know, and I would talk to my brother about this for, you know, so many conversations about this. What is normal? So are gays normal? Mm -hmm. Of course they are. They're perfectly normal. But they're not the norm. If they're 10% of mm -hmm. people, and most people are heterosexuals, then that is abnormal. But that doesn't make them not normal. Mm -hmm. They're completely normal human beings who have this thing that is outside of the norm. Okay. So you, it's splitting hairs whether or not to call them not normal or not. Right. But it would normal be, is a very weird word to begin normal's with. Normal is a right. weird word to begin with. What is normal? Mm -hmm. Nobody's normal, by the Nobody's way. Nobody's normal. I've never met anyone normal. No, no, no. And the Especially old, the older you get. The yeah. older you get, the more you realize everyone's everyone's nuts. Everyone's nuts. The you know? older you get, you realize everyone's nuts. Which is why I think most marriages end in divorce mm -hmm. because people just realize, oh, you're nuts. Oh, you're nuts. Oh, I'm nuts. We're all nuts. They either end in divorce or they end in death. Or right? death. They all end. Murder, suicide. Yeah. <laughs> I like end in. End, <laughs> end in. in. They end in. Yeah. They end in divorce. Right. You're in divorce. Um, Louis C.K. has a great bit. I was just watching yeah. about, uh, he said, divorce is the best part of life. Mm. He goes, divorce is forever. Like no one, like marriage, it's like it's a finite time and then you get divorced and then life begins. And he goes, uh -huh. no one ever says, oh, I'm just going, um, what, what was the joke? What's the final joke? I... I can't stand this divorce. He worded it much better. It was something like yeah. where he replaces marriage. with I'm in the worst of... It's like people who are divorced, once they go through it, the divorces, the process mm -hmm. isn't fun, are, are genuinely or generally happy because they got out of... Do you think so? Well, of course, there's a flip side to it. People that get divorced and didn't want to be divorced are miserable. Right. But people like Louie who get divorced and see it as a get out of jail people free like card. People like Louie are almost no people because people like Louie are famous, rich, and that's uh, true. almost any woman's available to them. That's true. There so is, most you're right. Divorce, from his perspective. From his perspective, divorce has got to be, uh, you know, just opening up the world to opportunities. For, I will agree to you on that. Mm -hmm. And that is a valid, good point. But... The entire audience was cheering in agreement, and I'm just not conveying the bit well because no, it's I don't his think bit. it's. I think I think I fundamentally disagree with it, except maybe for him. Right, you but know? what I'm saying but, is, you're right. But uh, the audience was agreeing in laughter and cheers and applause, like, yes, he's right. Divorce I, is the best part. I want to ask you a question that I kind of feel like I can't get a real. For the record, I'm married 28 years. Right. I want to ask. I want to ask you about it, but then on the other hand, like, what kind of answer? You know, I, I already know the answer's going to be. But I'd be Let's like, Are it. you happy being married? But you, you kind of have to say yes, right? I. I mean, am, as you as you continue to be married, I will give you the answer. Yeah. I am happily married. Mm -hmm. Do you know who isn't? My wife. Anyway, that's a joke, folks. <laughs> right, I did right, that right. on the James Corden but, show but last week. Yeah, I see. Uh, there are moments of mm -hmm. happiness, mm -hmm. and there are a lot of moments of unhappiness, mm -hmm. and a lot of moments of like, just, do you have to be that critical? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And a lot of moments of like, 
what are we fighting about now? Right. What, are, what are we fighting about? We're, we're all dying. We're going to be dead. Yeah. We're going to be dead so soon. Stop the fight. Do fighting. you think that's symptomatic of the fact that you're at a certain point in life in the marriage where you guys are, you've been through so much, you've raised kids? And- I think it's symptomatic of the fact that two humans are not meant to be in the same living space together for <laughs> a long amount of time. If you think about, you tell me which two college roommates didn't have full-on blowouts right. and disagreements and your shit go all over the mm-hmm. get my that's a that's a little mini uh-huh. marriage that yeah. prepares you for marriage you're gonna have fights but you gotta live together mm-hmm. so you try to get along but then shit's gonna go down yeah but then you know with marriage it is different because there are so many different factors involved from kids to this it's like it's right. a whole thing and it's never perfect and no one's in an amazing and perfect marriage no one mm-hmm. because no one is even in an amazing and perfect best friendship people get pissed off at their best friends you know regularly yeah. you didn't show up to this or da, 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 or something you say you didn't have to say that, whatever everything is just again because we're all crazy right right Hard to even get along with ourselves, let alone with others. But uh, I, I never wanted to get married. And then since I've been married, I always was like, well, I was completely wrong about that. I feel, mm. you know, I, again, I don't I don't have the longevity of your marriage. So you're not 28 years, not 28 years. What's yours? We got married in 2015. Uh huh. And we got together in 2010. We moved in with each other in 2010. Wow. So we've been living together for, you know. You know and kids. Yeah, we had had kids for And how's that go? How's the marriage? I'm always afraid to, like, you know, I don't want to put the ayin hara. I don't want to jinx it or anything. Well, but also, you know, she's going to listen to this shit. I don't think she will. She won't listen. I don't think she stopped that's, listening at a certain point. See, that's the other thing. Yeah. When you just said she stopped listening at a certain point. To my podcast. I mean, how No, no, no. There know? is a moment in uh-huh. a marriage. My wife used to come to every show right, right. and be super supportive. Where that just stops uh-huh. and they're just But they're how, supportive. how much can they want to hear from you? How much can they want to hear, even if it's all new every she, night? She writes articles constantly. I don't read them all. I right. can't. You right. know, it's too much. But it also, there's, there's um, the support never wavers. She's always going to be supportive and right. rooting for me because what I do well, she gets the, you know, right. uh, reaps the benefits. Right. Um, so she's obviously rooting for me, and I would never say she's rooting against me. But the cheerleader in her, the oh, cheerleader that went died. away. <laughs> oh, the cheerleader has gone on to. Yeah, but I mean, she'd have to be delusional. You would hate her if she was still the cheerleader, I feel I wouldn't like. hate her if because she was a cheerleader. Like, I'll give you a perfect example of a very personal story that okay. only because I know she won't listen to this, I will tell. Mm-hmm. Coming off stage two, two Tuesdays ago at Chosen, Right, mm-hmm. so there's two thousand people. They're all cheering. They're all going nuts, mm-hmm. and it's a lot of pressure. Pressure to do well because there's ten other comedians. You need it's kind of your festival. It's you know, me, Donnie, and Modi. It's our festival, so we're running it. We're hosting it. I'm producing it, and I got to deliver the goods also on mm-hmm. stage, whether I'm with Modi or my set alone. And when I came off stage, just everyone's coming over me, going, "Oh my god, amazing set! Oh, dude, that was hilarious! Oh, those new bits and da 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 da." Yeah. And then I just saw my wife and she went, okay, so we going to, and I'm like, oh no, no, like a good set. Oh, come on. Do you really need that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. It would just be nice to go. Right. Yeah, good set tonight. Yeah. Great. Oh, you were great out there. Where are we going? Mm-hmm. Instead, it's right to the, 
but she but she lives with the magician. She knows the trick. She knows the trick. You know, she, she lives with the magician, but the magician still needs. <laughs> she she's not going to get excited to see you love. pull the rabbit out of the hat anymore. You know, you, you know what? You know what? You know what? I I've come to realize uh, it would be nice to hear great set, mm-hmm. but I honestly don't need it from her. Mm-hmm. I don't need her to validate that I just did well. I know mm-hmm. I did well. Yeah. Uh, what I don't want from her is criticism and i was just talking to another husband of that it's like even when i do good things or i do well at a whatever it is i'm doing Mm -hmm. i she still finds something to criticize so when you're doing well and when you're killing it Mm -hmm. and having a moment or a good night or a good week or a good whatever and she's just there criticizing Mm -hmm. what you're doing wrong that's what i don't like i don't need the cheerleader anymore it would Mm -hmm. still be nice i wouldn't mind it I don't need it, though. What I can't deal with, though, and I do need, is someone that doesn't put me down because my whole life is just rejection after rejection. Mm -hmm. My favorite thing is when people come over to me, the few times I do get recognized and go, I don't want to swell your ego. There's always that little, is it a caveat, a little like disclaimer, a little like, hey, don't get too full of yourself, but you're my favorite comedian. Uh Hey, don't get your head big, but... I think you're hilarious. But don't I, enjoy this too much. Right. And I yeah. always tell them, I go, you know, you don't, it's very nice of you to say, but you don't need the first part. Mm-hmm. If you're concerned about my head getting too big, I could tell you right now, after mm-hmm. 30 years of daily rejection <laughs> in this business, yeah. 30 years yeah. of every day I get rejected about something else. Just uh-huh. an audition yesterday. Did I get it? No. no. Every day is rejection. Mm-hmm. Your compliment is saving me and keeping me going and Mm -hmm. reminding me that, yeah, maybe I shouldn't just give it up. Mm -hmm. So it's the opposite of my ego getting swelled. Mm -hmm. You're helping me. You're helping my ego from just going down in the tubes. Mm -hmm. They don't realize that all of our lives are full of pain and rejection. Yeah. And that's just from our wives. But anyway. (laughs) Isn't it time uh, to do the, the the other part of this podcast? Not yet, but why do you feel? Are you in a... I did promise ice cream for my brother-in-law's kids. <laughs> okay. He's in town. He's leaving tomorrow. And I said, I'm going to take you to uh, Big Chill, mm-hmm. which is a great frozen Chill. yogurt. Big Chill is amazing. Big Chill, but the best is the vanilla custard, and they don't have vanilla custard today. What? I love the vanilla custard. That's... No, no, the vanilla custard is the only thing... Because it's thing, so custardy. It's, it's so custardy. It's the yeah. only thing that's better than Carvel soft serve vanilla, which is the, the greatest. Chill? They have a vegan chocolate one. Yeah. That's really good. So what's the second best frozen yogurt when you can't get the vanilla? Do you know what it is in in California? I go I go vegan chocolate one, obviously. Okay, but, what, but when you can't get the big chill, let's say you're not on that part of town or a little further. Okay. What's the best frozen yogurt in Los Angeles? I can't believe you don't know it. Give me a moment. That's embarrassing. Well, I, I get. I guess I would go soft serve ice cream after that. I go that we yeah, have a Carvel. Of course, you know, Carvel, Carvel vanilla soft serve is insane. Um, I'm talking Froyo. Froyo, huh? I don't know. Go Greek. Don't know it. Oh, Bedford and Beverly Hills. Okay. Go Greek and in Santa Monica All on right. Ocean Avenue. You've given me something to look into. No, no, look into. Leave now. <laughs> Thank you, everybody. Good night. You've okay. got to go. It's seven minutes from here. Uh-huh. Go Greek. I make nothing from this. Yeah. Okay. I make nothing from this. It's painful. So, so I want to hear. I want to. It's magically. It's magically delicious. So I want to get into. Hello, oh, I'm Casey Kasem. Before we go into this philosophy, yeah, uh, I do want to hear a little bit about your childhood. About because 
You, you said you went to MTA. Did you grow up in an observant home? Yes, I did. And so, so your brother, I assume, as well, did? My, uh, I have two brothers, an older uh-huh. and had a younger. Uh, I was the middle child of these three brothers. We were brought up in a modern Orthodox family mm-hmm. and uh, Shabbos, kosher, everything. Mm-hmm. We would go every now and then to non-kosher restaurants, but also go to like Shboka Bernstein's mm-hmm. and the kosher ones. Like how I grew up. Yeah, so, but yeah. very like mm-hmm. Shabbos strict and, um, you know, we grew up in the Bronx and we, I took to it right away. Like I loved Shabbos and I loved Judaism. Mm-hmm. I loved our heritage cultures, rituals. Uh, honestly, when I was 13, I didn't love putting tefillin on. So I put it on for my bar mitzvah and then sort of put it away for two years. Mm-hmm. And then a young rabbi named Rabbi Rosenberg, um, Moshe Rosenberg and uh, inspired me to put on tefillin every single day and I haven't stopped since. That's great. I have a joke that I say in my Jewish act. I put on tefillin every day, even Shabbos. Mm-hmm. No, you're not supposed to on Shabbos, <laughs> right, so I don't. Right. But I do put yeah. it on every other day besides Shabbos, every day. For fo- folks out there who are tuning in, um, I would say probably almost none of them know what we're talking about. Okay. So, so can we tell them about tefillin? We wrap ourselves in leather every morning. <laughs> Phylacteries. Um, it's a whole thing. Do uh-huh. we have to get into that? Just Google it. Well, the point is, but, it's, but, a, it's a moment to pray. I, yeah. I, I'll, I can connect. wrap it, I'll wrap Go ahead, it up. wrap it up. Yeah. Um, just by, it's, uh, there are these little um, boxes that you attach to your arm and your head which have prayer scrolls in them. Yes. And um, I've heard them by somebody once described, I don't remember who, as like little spiritual satellites that beam into your brain and your heart. That's beautiful because and the arm one is corresponds to your heart right. and the, the head goes right over your brain. Right. Those are the two most important functions in uh, in life. Right. What so, you're feeling and thinking and all that. So it's almost like, um, you know, you're zapping in You're holiness. zapping in, you're tied to Hashem, to God. You're and, tying yourself to God. And, and to, <clears throat> to sort of echo what Elon is talking about, because I've spent many years not putting them on as well, and I now do as well, um, there's something about it that changes uh, you, I think. Yeah. Right? I mean, I, I think... Just having a ritual, a daily ritual is really good. People say, if you wake up in the morning and make your bed you will feel accomplished and that day will change because you'll feel like accomplishing more things. So the second I put on tefillin, I'm like, wow, I just did that. I just accomplished that. I prayed, I connected to God. I feel like more than that even, for a Jewish man to put it on, you're no longer spiritually dehydrated when you put them on. There's something about that that spiritually hydrates you. Correct. It makes, you can almost breathe spiritually and it's very meditative correct um and i can't tell you why it, it's like a jewish magic right? it's jewish magic it fills so, a void it is hydrating it's like going to the hotel you're uh-huh. just instantly hydrated yeah it's the weirdest thing it's weird yeah. and it's not explainable it's not explainable that's that's how you know it's real mm-hmm. it's weird because it feels so like uh what's the word ethereal it feels not non-tangible it feels magical mm-hmm but it's real because you do feel that way. So it's nice. And I like to pray uh, every morning and it's very meditative and it's good. But my two brothers didn't stay with it at all. Mm -hmm. Now they didn't need it. So the younger brother was like proud, proud Jew, but not into Orthodox Judaism because Orthodox Judaism shunned him as a kid knowing he was gay. 
The younger one. Yeah, so the second he came out at 18, he knew. I got shunned without them knowing. Ah. I still don't know I'm gay. He, but, uh, yeah. he knew that they yeah. weren't uh, exactly approving of his lifestyle choice, yeah. as they call it. Um, as a heterosexual, I got banned from yeshiva. That's I got funny. kicked out and went to public school. But you know, there's that word, abomination. So it, must have been, it must have been very tough for him. It was. I and I always explain to him, I go, first yeah. of all, the word abomination could be... Uh, an incorrect translation of whatever that Hebrew word meant, whatever God mm-hmm. meant, he certainly wouldn't create people that he feels are an abomination because he created gay people. And I said, as far as, and again, I would always have in-depth discussions about this. He should never feel like a sinner, like his life is one big sin as a gay man because the Torah is against being a gay mm-hmm. person. I said, the reason you shouldn't feel like a sinner or that you are sinning is because all of sex is a sin except one very specific kind of sex in a marriage in a specific time frame in a month mm-hmm. where you have 15 days to have at it and then the other t- mm-hmm. and then we're not explaining this but we don't have to explain this but my point is all of sex is a sin, heterosexual and homosexual. So, so did your brother ever make peace with his Yeah, Judaism? big time. Yeah. And was would put his yarmulke on, come to shul with us, and da-da-da. He absolutely did. But his first you know, reaction was, you know, and then every now and then he would put on tefillin and, and, and like I said, go to shul and certainly celebrate seders with us and all the holidays. Mm-hmm. He was very proud and pro but at first he had to resist what was resisting him Mm -hmm. it's a natural thing he was like you don't like me well i don't like you either but then he came back to it and then my older brother is um is a hedonist He's a great guy, but he <laughs> loves not his business card. It's not a, yeah. It's yeah. A, hi, Stephen Gold, hedonist. Yeah, he just loves the fun, pleasurable things of life, mm-hmm. and you know whether it's drinking and whatever, girls, whatever it is. So religion's not for you if you're if you're that type. Mm-hmm. It's the uh, you know it's the antithesis of. It's what, a tough sell for him. It's a tough sell. Hey, do you yeah. want to stop everything you love doing? Yeah. Well, join us here at Judaism.com. Uh-huh. So he, you know, but again, isn't it weird how it suited my life over my brother's lives? Because when you have a family, mm-hmm. oh my God, do these customs and holidays and rituals keep you together, keep you grounded mm-hmm. and keep you connected to each other, to your community, to God. So it fit my life so much more than theirs. Do you get... um ostracized in the comedy world for your observance no no it's weird how much people respect it i haven't i've had not that experience oh wow even i remember neil brennan going saying to me once you know Chappelle really has great respect for you and not just your comedy because you're religious and he's you know religious muslim spokesman for Chappelle. yeah neil yeah Yeah. so he goes (laughs) he could be making up anything with Chappelle, Uh, you know because people will just no i'm i'm I'm, i believe that Chappelle does have great respect for no 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 i mean that he doesn't make up stuff. I'm and, saying, but he could because he everybody could. would just be like, "Yeah, I'm sure Chappelle, oh, yeah, best comes friends through they Neil created Brennan, the, the show together. Everything yeah. comes what through if, Neil Brennan. That Chappelle, whatever, whatever he wants Chappelle's opinion to be, he can yes. hand that out to people. You know what Chappelle said about this? He said, "You you ought to buy my dinner." He tonight. just told me yeah, an actual whatever. story that right. Chappelle was just talking about you, how he's got respect for you as yeah. a family man and religious man, uh-huh. and that's nice to hear. What's your experience against religion? Well, I've had a lot of pushback when I became observant because. Um, when I started doing stand-up, I wasn't. 
uh, I moved away. I told I alluded to it any way quickly that I was kicked out of yeshiva. And, Why? What'd you do? Uh, I just had bad grades, which is people don't. Everybody, believe. I have bad grades. Well, I was um, I was unfortunate in that I wound up in a yeshiva that thought they were going to be like some big prestigious thing, and mm. it was the first year of the high school, and midway through they looked at who was bringing down the curve. On the in the grades, they just dumped you for bringing they, down the curve. They dumped me and three other kids, and I loved it, and I, and it devastated me. And then I got sent the only, so just as you were skeptical, every other Jewish school was skeptical that that would be the reason I would be kicked out. Right? They thought, oh, there must be something they're hiding from us. So nobody wanted me. So my parents like shopped me around from Jewish school to Jewish school midway through ninth grade, right? Speaking and, of rejection, yeah. when you can't even get into a school. And I'm like trying to sell myself like, hey, I'm a Jew, you know? Wow. And they didn't want me. And the only place that took me was uh, one for uh, like the drug addicted Jews. You know, the, the real troubled Jews, you know, the ones like, you know, the, <laughs> that's <laughs> the, 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 broken, the broken Jews. So um, that's where you grew up. So I wound up going there and uh, I immediately like, uh, you know, like spitballs when I was like davening, oh, I was pr meaning praying when I was praying, like I was getting spitballs and people right. were laughing at me like, what are you taking this seriously for? So I, I, uh, I, I learned to adapt to that by sort of like. Uh, giving that up. And then I was begging my parents. I'm like, take me out of here. I don't like this. this and is... so I went to public school. Oh and God. How was that? I loved it. Wow. Um, lots of beautiful women, beautiful women, the but arts, you, but you fell of off of the, I, I left the derrick. I you left so speak, the derrick, which we is call again, it. The, uh, road. the road, uh, the road to of folks Judaism. listening. So I, uh, you know, he went I, off the derrick. I decided, okay, I'm a secular Jew. I'm, I'm out of this. Uh, yes. You know, went to college, got into stand up. Um, you know, just did the became the comedian life. Yeah. Didn't want to do anything Jewish. It's funny, I didn't get kicked um, out of school for not doing well. Yeah. And the reason I didn't do well is because uh -huh. I went to this MTA Yeshiva University, like we talked about. You you would leave your house at like. I don't know, 6.30 a.m., 7 a.m., mm -hmm. take a bus for an hour, like a regular city bus, mm -hmm. get there by like 8 or 7.30. Mm -hmm. First part of the day was Jewish study, so Talmud, this, that, till like 1 p.m., then 1 to like 6.30 was English studies. Then you'd get, go on another hour-long bus. When I would get home at 7.30 at night, having left at 7 a.m., this is a 12-hour day, and I'm a kid, I'm 14, I'm 15, mm -hmm. I would take my book bag and throw it into my closet and slam the door. Oh, yeah, I had homework, mm -hmm. but it wasn't happening. Mm -hmm. I wasn't going to work another minute after putting in this 12-hour day. You went on day. strike. I went on strike. Yeah. <laughs> I would turn the TV on yeah. and just study TV. Yeah, I'm, I'm out. I'm, I'm done. out. And I'll never forget my father, one... This was on a Saturday night, though, and we had school Sunday, too. Mm -hmm. We had Sunday school, and I was watching Saturday Night Live. Mm -hmm. And again, who would have thought that I would one day be screen testing for it, almost getting it, working with people that you know work on it, working in the comedy business? Who would have thought I did? I would have thought because when my father said to me, go to bed, you know, mm -hmm. you have school tomorrow, do your homework. I said, Dad, this is my homework. Mm -hmm. I've got to study this. I just knew that yeah. I wanted to be Eddie Murphy, Billy Crystal, Martin Short. Right. I wanted to do what these guys are doing. Just make people laugh, doing silly voices and sketches and stand-up right. and bits. 
and I knew that was my homework more important than any other baloney and they kept you chemistry. anyway they and kept they you kept in the me. system you know folks you know I've never been to Burning Man but I was a Burning Man folks <laughs> It's a great lineup. So, uh, so anyway, um, back to the point here. When I started becoming religious again, yes, um, my wife started converting to Judaism. She was my girlfriend at the time. Wow! And uh, I started doing things like Shabbat, and other comedians were very um, not supportive. Wow! Uh, to the point where they they felt uh, that I was an idiot and such like that and told they me would to mock my face. and ridicule you? To my face. So I was surprised that your experience has been positive because I just mostly got people... Um, well, it's funny that you say that because mm -hmm. I didn't... It wasn't all positive. And the one story that pops into my head <clears throat> is a guy named Jeff, we'll just say Jeff, mm -hmm. who's a big TV writer, who's brilliant writer... Great guy, the whole thing. But mm -hmm. he's a Baal Tshuva, which means he returned to Judaism. Mm -hmm. He was never religious growing up, blah, blah, blah. And then he, you sort of, since you have it in the womb or whatever, mm -hmm. if you don't have it, then you return to it in your 30s or whatever it was that he was. Before he had returned, he was writing a pilot. And he said to me, you know, we want you to audition for this pilot. And he goes, but it shoots like Passover. I go, oh, well, Passover, I can't do Passover. Mm -hmm. He goes, well, it's, you know, it's not the satyrs. And I said, yeah, but you don't understand, there's this thing called the second days, which mm -hmm. he didn't know about, mm -hmm. where it's this two-day holiday that ends Passover, where you're not allowed to work on these two days. Yeah. And he starts mocking me. I never even heard of what is this bullshit. Da, da, da. Yeah. You want to go to a Seder, that's fine, but this crappy you and your crazy God, nutty, crazy yeah. religion, da, 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 it's all fake. Da, da. Cut to he is way more religious than I am. <laughs> he is a Talmud Chacham. He, yeah. is a, he knows funny. all of the Torah and he learns every day and he's yeah. so strict about his religion. And I reminded him once, do you, you remember mocking me for being religious, uh -huh. for being less religious than you are right now? He goes, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't, like, I didn't get I it. I got a lot of that. I got yeah. a lot of that. I get so. that, but I also got a lot of respect. Like when right. I asked Steve Levitan, can we not film on Friday nights, the stacked Pam Anderson show? Mm -hmm. He said, yeah, I get it. I respect that. You That's just great. have to ask Pam because Pam's the real star of the show. Mm -hmm. I was just the co-star. So if Pam's cool with it, I'm cool with it. And I, Pam was like, I love Shabbat. And then yeah. we changed the whole schedule from Friday night to Tuesdays. We what about when you night. did like Curb recently? Did they work around the schedule Curb for you? Curb freaking worked around the schedule for me. That's great. The first two days was not a conflict, so they didn't have to deal with it. I did. Then they called me back in for a third episode, and there was a it was a Pesach conflict again. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And they said, okay, we'll do it the day after that. Mm -hmm. And they rescheduled. These are like multi-million dollar budgets. That's amazing. Just to have me come back and do a little scene. That's terrific. So there is respect out there for That's it. That's nice. It's nice to hear that there's it is respect good to hear. some places. At what point okay, are we going to talk philosophy? Because now. you said to me the following. I go, what is this podcast? Because, well, we just talk and it's an interview. And then we talk philosophy. So, so I've been waiting very right. patiently, a good hour and nine minutes so here's to the discuss philosopher. philosophy. And by the way, everybody waits that amount time because i like to try and establish who I the see. person is because we're going to the point of the philosophy is to juxtapose you to the philosopher that we're going to learn about so i like that the audience is, i like that we're learning though yeah the audience because philosophy is fantastic and it's fascinating and 
It's so funny. At, at MTA in high school, I had this teacher, teacher, Mr. Waxman, mm-hmm. and he would always have philosophies, but they were terrible or obvious. Mm-hmm. And it was a thing we would make fun of. Like hmm. he would just say in the middle of class, he'd go, my philosophy <laughs> is period five lasts a certain length of time, then yeah. it stops. Yeah. I'm like, really? Is that your philosophy? <laughs> that the period lasts a certain length of time and then it stops? He goes, right. that's my philosophy. So is this good philosophy that we could cogitate and ruminate over? I haven't seen this yet. Okay, I, let's I read don't, it. I have somebody who gets it's, this. It's like Karnak first. now. Here right. it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Here we go. Go ahead. So <clears throat> so the whole objective, just to, to tell you again, is we were looking at you as a philosopher up yes. until now. Yes. So now we're going to see, knowing An where you stand philosophically, yes. well, Maybe they are, or maybe they're not. Okay, go ahead. So this is prepared by a guy named Alex Fasella. Mm-hmm. He's got the name Philosophy in his last name. Mm-hmm. Fasella Philosophy, mm-hmm. and uh, and uh, he um, he picked the philosopher who was an author, mm-hmm. Jack Kerouac. Do yes. you know him? Yes, I've heard of Jack Kerouac. I know the name, but I don't well know more author. than that. Do you know more about him than that? Uh, he's written a lot of books. Yeah, that's where I'm at with yeah. him. Okay. Uh, something about travel or something? Travel? Mm-hmm. And and the, the way this is tied into you is because you're also a phenomenal writer. You know, we that's talk so a lot nice. about your impressions. But uh, I do okay with the writing. I'm no Jack Kerouac, I'll yeah, tell you that. But, but I ain't no Arthur Miller, you know? You know, comedians... I'll tell you, it ain't easy being me, you know? I'll tell you, it's rough, you know? All right. But some comedians are writers and some aren't. And you are a writer. Absolutely. You know, some you, are more performers, yeah. What, what? I think you have both going for you, but your, nice. your writing is very tight. Very smooth, very tight. Yeah, if you work at it and you have any sort of ability, because I'm not smart. I re- yeah. I'm really not. But uh, I'm even less smart. How do you like that? That's fine. Good. But comedically, uh-huh. I find comedically I have smart observations and mm-hmm. I could write bits well, but I'm a dumb person. But let's talk. Okay. Um, so here's a little synopsis on Jack. After writing his first novel, Kerouac felt that he made a competent but inauthentic work. It was in the style of his heroes and not entirely from the heart. Mm. You really we, any of that so hundred percent. We all do that. You know, we all emulate mm-hmm. our heroes and become them right. until we figure out who we are. Right. It's common, especially for comedians. We comedians, just actors, singers. Yeah. You mimic who you loved growing up. Yeah. And you channel them, and then just figure it all out. And mm-hmm. ultimately, we're all a compilation of who we worshipped and mm-hmm. growing up. Then with our own voice going into it. Yeah. But it's all that. Um, it was in the style of his heroes, not entirely from his heart. While writing his next novel, Kerouac got frustrated and went on a seven-year trip across America. I told you there was travel involved, and then he wrote a big book about it. Okay. Uh, he met all types of workers, artists, addicts, hobos, went home, cranked out his novel on the road in three weeks, almost without stopping, with no regard for structure or revision. Mm. He realized that to properly write, one must live to the fullest. Putting too much work into writing itself inhibits the author and distracts him from the real source of his talent, life. Many writers fancy themselves students of writing. The only thing that must be studied 
is existence itself. So let's discuss what I just read for oh, a second. Oh, shoot. Before. I got distracted and started playing with the cameras. Can, oh. you, can you just, I was wondering which camera that is. And you're can, the one who didn't get kicked out I'm of school. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm very distracted. I'm not ADD, but I am distracted yeah. easily. Can you just read the sentence once? Yeah, sure. I heard everything else up until the last Well, sentence. basically, it was saying... Um, he realized, he traveled, oh, you realize, you have to live life. To properly write, you have to live to the fullest. Putting too much work into writing itself inhibits the author, distracts them from the real source of talent, which is life. Many writers fancy themselves students of writing. The only thing that must be studied is existence itself. Hey, clearly, he has a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that doesn't mean someone yeah. as prolific and genius as Woody Allen has to go on the subway to write about two characters being on the subway. Now, I love Woody Allen, but in fairness, I think he's written the same movie maybe 40 oh, yeah, times. Yeah, he's so written the same movie 40 times. Yeah, okay, fine. <laughs> you know, that's crazy. I I'm so many, you know, a plethora of uh, film out there, but, you know, you, you, know, you want to call it. Great about doing a Woody Allen impression is you have to manufacture acid reflux. <laughs> I don't have to manufacture anything. <laughs> um, so, yeah, when you live life, listen, the James Corden show, mm-hmm. I just did a set a couple of weeks ago, all based on living life. Mm-hmm. It was this bit about the doctor not accepting us because our son had a cold and the doctor was only doing well visits. Right. And it was like, well, we're only seeing well patients. Like the doctor's only seeing well patients. I could see well patients and I'm an idiot. Mm-hmm. And and that's one bit. The next bit is about the Jews will not replace us, which is based on something that really happened in Charlottesville with these right. Charlottesville, these wackos, you know, white supremacists are running around yelling Jews will not replace us. So then I offer that life experience of just watching that. Mm-hmm. You write. That being said, so many of my observations are just in my head and pop out. Be- but based on having lived life, but you, mm-hmm. you, you can write. If I locked myself in a jail cell for two years i would come out with the greatest three hours of specials ever because all i'd be doing is writing really yeah yes i don't have to live and write of course and then yeah yeah i would write about rape (laughs) a lot of it would be a lot of rape jokes help get me out of this you ever getting in the tuchus and then uh, no um yeah but because i've lived enough Mm -hmm. to i have a wealth of knowledge and life experience and trauma now to to feed off of that i think a really great writer as long as you're not 12 or even 25 can sit and write without living but life always helps you write you have to know it to write it right well another thing neil brennan said to me which was great advice he said Write what you care about. He saw that I was writing just goofy bits. So mm-hmm. I think squirrels are on cocaine and da da da. He goes, write what you care about. And he was so correct because what do I care about? I care about being Jewish. I care about being married. I care about being a father. So those are the best bits mm-hmm. when you write what you care about. Um, but yeah, you also and, have to And you live. have the good, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, I guess a good in- instinct to listen to people's advice too. You know, it's one thing when people give you the advice. I have a very, applying it. I have a simple motto. Mm-hmm. This is my motto in life. 
it was also like a revelation where I was like, oh, I should live by this. Here it is. Are you ready, kids? Hear everyone. Listen to no one. Meaning if you hear people and they give you advice, okay, you're hearing everything and you're digesting it and you're figuring out what's right for you, what's good for you. what. But listening, don't listen to anyone except yourself. That doesn't mean the person you just heard you shouldn't listen to. Mm -hmm. It just means if you hear, let's say, four people saying four different things, just listen to none of them. It's all mm -hmm. noise. Everyone else is noise. Listen to your heart and brain. Listen to yourself. Process everything that everyone's saying around you, but there's a lot of negative forces and negative people around everyone. So something about Neil, what he said struck a chord with you, obviously, right? Oh my so. God. That was one of those cases where it was here, Neil, and listen to yourself who just heard a really smart thing from Neil. So just hear Neil, repeat what he said, and listen to it when it comes from you. Right. <laughs> Channel it, let it go through you, siphon it out. Make it your own. Make it your own, process it, and then that. But the point of yeah. the hear everyone and listen yeah. to no one is just basically you got to just do what you think is, is right for you. Mm -hmm. You have to follow the path that you think is best for you. And there's... Hear everyone is also go on Instagram and hear what everyone's saying there and read books and hear what they're saying. But l ultimately, listen to only yourself. Mm -hmm. And you've done that to, you know, to your great credit in terms of uh, your career. You, you haven't gone with the pack. You no, know, I, you, I didn't go with the pack. And I didn't sell out. And I didn't sell out my religion either. I got mm -hmm. fired from Bones, the hit show on Fox Bones, because they asked me to do a fourth episode and I was like a recurring role, a major role. I was dating one of the stars of it. And I was about to deliver Bones' baby because I was a gynecologist also. Mm -hmm. And that was another Shabbos Pesach thing. Mm -hmm. If I did that shoot, I would have to film on the Sabbath and miss the first night Seder. And I went, guys, is there anything you could do? No, mm -hmm. we can't move the schedule for you. You're a guest star. And they just fired me. They just wrote me out of the show and, and changed at the and, time, and broke you, up my character. Are you uh, questioning your decisions at no, that moment? No, never. 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 Okay. I'm going, this is what God wants. He doesn't want me to be on this stupid show. <laughs> mm -hmm. Right. What, what's the show going to do for me? I'm playing a gynecologist and a, whatever. It's a great, strong level of what we call emunah, emunah which is faith, belief, right? faith. Belief. Yes, yes, faith. So, it's more uh, faith. You're right than belief. So, yeah, but then you go, okay, this is a path. I also think if I made it, quote unquote, and became a huge success too early, forget 20s, even 30s, because now we're just coming out of the 40s where mm -hmm. I'm feeling semi-successful again, not totally successful. Mm -hmm. I don't I don't know what that version of me would have been. You would have lost yourself, you think? I don't know. I'm pretty darn grounded and like I'm not a drug addict. Like I've been very against drugs until they legalize weed and I realize weed and edibles are really just these harmless little things that give you bumps and whatever. So I stopped judging that, but I was judgy on my, my friends who smoked, who smoked that shit? What are you doing? And I was always- Where do you think that comes from in you? I'm just like very level-headed and commonsensical and I just know that Drugs are either gateways or they're addictive or they can take you li your life you in spiral. Because you met you, you referred to your older brother as hedonistic. Yeah. Do you think he sort of gave you pause watching him? In some no, because he never showed me that uh -huh. side of him. I knew he was so, like big drinker and who knows what drugs he dabbled in. So what, what may, you know, I mean, you come from a, 
a family where you're religiously anyway the outlier. Yeah. And um, I'm I'm curious if you've ever stopped and thought about why do you think you're the one who chose this path? First of all, my parents are also very grounded and normal in their own New York, insane, crazy Jewish, old Jewish people ways, mm-hmm. but very normal, very happy, very loving. And I was, I was brought up so like with such love and support. I was such a happy kid and so such a happy teenager and again, not like... Not a typical middle child either. Not at all. And not happy-go-lucky like, you know, I just didn't need anything to be happy. A lot of people need a, dr- a drink, a drug, whatever, to be happy. In college, I was passing beers, passing joints. Like, no, you, you, I'm, I'm having a great time. Mm-hmm. I'm having a great time just being fun and funny. You say passing and passing up on them. Passing it to the next person. Right. Like, oh, nah. oh, here's your joint. Oh, and then I take it and pass it. Like, I'm hey, you gonna... want a beer? No, you have the beer. Right, right, right. I don't need this to have a great time at this party. Mm-hmm. Or at, we're all just hanging out. I don't need it. Then you get older and you're like, first of all, I didn't start drinking till like my mid to late thirties. I never liked alcohol. To me, it was like rubbing alcohol. Mm-hmm. Then I got into this beautiful scotch, this Macallan 18, someone, and I go, oh, this is like chocolate. This is delicious. Mm-hmm. So then you like it for the taste. And then in your forties, you know, got into wine, my forties, but now you need vices. Now at 52, my God, is it mm-hmm. fun to have a vice to look forward to when life isn't all just gung-ho and happy and you have bills and responsibilities and situations and fires you're putting out with, Mm -hmm. putting out. Mm -hmm. So I get drinking and and drugging a little bit in your 50s. I don't get it in your teens. So funny. I'm like the opposite. I like did all that stuff like crazy when I was younger. And as I get older, I'm like, well, I don't need this anymore. I don't need that anymore. And that one gives me a headache in the morning. Right. But you were filling a void then. And and I I didn't feel like I had a void. Mm -hmm. So now I have less void and your void is starting to grow. Yeah, my void is starting to grow. I'm starting to realize (laughs) what, other than my kids, like what makes me happy? I have like a a golden three, Mm -hmm. which is everything that matters to me is just three things. Mm -hmm. It's God, family, comedy. That's it. Mm -hmm. Comedy snuck in there. The other two, very mainstream. Yeah. Right? Comedy is not one, if, if, if you have God, family, the third one's almost never comedy. It's almost never comedy. Oh, right? <laughs> These comedians are derelicts who have no families and no God and no religion and no nothing and no faith in anything. Yeah. A lot of them do. Mm-hmm. But also I would encounter people like guys like Mark Marin, who he's such a like dark guy and he's such a misanthrope and was always like brooding and angry. And I, I started with him in the clubs in mm-hmm. Boston and in New York. He always hated me. I never did or said anything to him. He would just hate me because he resented my aura of contentment. Sounds like a good premise to start for a WTF episode. Oh, my God. Have you guys not done this one yet? No, we could get into it. He won't have me on because he knows I will speak the truth. I think that's why he should have you on. Yeah, but it's true. He was very... Because that's a, a he lot was of the always, great WTF ones are resolving stuff like that. Yeah, he know? was like bitter at like 28. Like imagine yeah. being bitter ah, and you're always on TV and I'm never on TV. Yeah. And he just hated that I had any yeah. sort of, you know, I, I would get on TV every now and then. Mm-hmm. And 
And he hated that I was just genuinely a pretty happy dude. And he would walk around just going, yeah. So he was, he would just look at me. Louis was like that too. Louis just resented my, my own sort of happiness. Yeah. Louis was never nice to me and my experiences with Louis can Um, be very nice to a lot of people. Right. Well, anyone can be nice to people. Yeah. Yeah. Anyone can be, but in general, yeah, Louis is not the nicest Mm -hmm. guy. He's just not the nicest guy. He just will mm-hmm. say mean things to you. Yeah. And he's very biting and very cutting. But when you're hanging out with him, he's like, Louie, he's a nice, fun guy. But yeah. then all of a sudden, he'll hit you with something. You're like, oh. Yeah. You know? Marin, when I met him, I was probably more miserable and less successful than him. So he loved, he loved me right away. Oh, good. I didn't have your problem. Nothing to be he threatened by. Me. Yeah, he said, okay. This guy's less successful and more, and, and miserable. more miserable. I want to hang out with you. I like you. him right yeah. away. So, by the way, that's true, though. Yeah. So People was, like to yeah. fail together. People like to be miserable together. Mm-hmm. Misery loves company. Right. So misery doesn't love. By the way, happiness also loves company. Yeah. Everybody loves company. And I would surround myself. We just myself. like similar company. Yeah. Right? So, and I try to surround myself with happiness. People, I, I don't have time or patience for anyone who's a negative Nelly in life. I, I've, you know, so my experience with Mark's so different than yours, and we're still pretty close friends to this day. He's deep down, by the way, good heart, good very, guy, very, very good heart. But I, he's I mean, so I, miserable. He's I so think angry. You talk to him. I think. Uh, I think this. He could won't be have me on. <laughs> I, I think that's, you're saying I think this that's as expired. if it's my choice. No, I think he's uh, he doesn't have me on. He does. He's very dismissive of me. He doesn't. He doesn't like me. He hmm. never liked me from 30 years ago till now. He doesn't like me. Louis also doesn't like me. Louis, he's, he's, ne- you know, what's interesting about Mark also is that he's got a really strong nishama. Like he's he's uh, yeah. He was born on Yom Kippur. I call him every Yom Kippur and we yeah. talk. Oh, that's cool. And um, he has he has yeah. You he, could tell that he has some faith. He, he and keeps he, his tefillin in his uh, he does? in his studio. Wow. Yeah, in his um, that's nice in to the hear. podcast studio on the shelf. There's his tefillin from childhood. Yeah, there's a, Mark to yeah. me is like a what? There's a what? Well, well, there's like a there's a real Jewish fire inside there of him. There is. He's you know? got the pintle yid. As I we feel say. like you two would connect. You know, if you could. I'm sort open of and willing and that. ready. Yeah. I am not angry at him. Right. Right. For how he treated me, well, I don't maybe, care. Maybe, maybe something will come out of this. You know, maybe that would be great, Mark. Can... If you're listening, I would be happy to go on WTF. Yeah. And uh, we could work out I think our you past guys, problems. I think you guys could could really be friends, and we could really connect on. And he's not miserable anymore. I, I see that. I see yeah. he's gotten less. He still has that anger, bitter, sardonic. Or, you know, he's still got that. But he's got to keep it going. <laughs> I think it's becoming now it's, challenging. You know, he's got no, like, no. Now it's yeah. uh, it's his his sort of thing. It's like every comedian like has, he a, has to do it now. Yeah. You know, but, but, if he all of a sudden was like, "Hey, you ever notice and started doing right. Seinfeld stuff?" <laughs> he'd be like, "Mark, come on. We want you to be angry for us cuz we're angry." Yeah. A lot of his fans relate cuz they they just feel that anger uh, inside of them. And so then when Mark vents, it's like, yes, preach. Tell mm-hmm. us, what are you angry about? Because we're angry about so many things. Uh, and I get that. I get it too. Um, I'm, I'm angry about things. Oh, I'm not all happy. I don't want to And Louie, just to end yeah. with Louie, Louie was always the kind of guy who 
would frown upon people who did impressions. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, that's not purist comedy. He was such a pure comedian. And I guarantee you all the people he loved growing up were doing impressions. Guarantee you that when from Eddie Murphy to everyone, Dan Aykroyd, everyone that I'm sure he loved did impressions. It's such a double standard. The the funny thing about, uh, I just want to interject this. The funny thing that I've noticed about comedians is that they have very little respect for comedians that do impressions until those comedians become famous and then they have the most respect right. for comedians that right. do impressions. Like, well, of course Jamie Foxx is talented. Yeah, right. like, he's or, the like, most talented man on earth. Yeah, or, or Mike Myers or whoever. Yes, right? or Jim so Carrey. The moment- Jim Carrey is top 10 most talented humans that ever lived on the earth as is Jamie Foxx as Uh, is Eddie Murphy they all do impressions uh, Jim Carrey was like my number one inspiration I remember talking to Jackie Mason about it once he goes you know he's got a really Chaplin-esque quality about him he's right yeah He's so, right. Yeah. Rubbery, Chaplin-esque, uh, Jerry Lewis-esque. Yeah. And then the other thing about Louis, and he told this story, like he admitted it on like an interview or podcast, whatever, that he was auditioning uh, people for the Dana Carvey show, which I did with him. And we had yeah. all sorts of disagreements and whatever about impressions and this and that. But he admitted, he goes... Jimmy Fallon came in and crushed it. Mm-hmm. Jimmy Fallon came in and did impressions and was brilliant. And I didn't want to hire him because he was just too cute. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just he's jealous. So jealous of this cute guy mm-hmm. who's like, again, happy-go-lucky and, oh, man, mm-hmm. everything's positive and great. And the opposite of Louie who's like, you know, just right. down and morose. And so there are guys like that. And then there are guys like me and guys like Martin Short. Guys who I admire are, are yeah. genuinely happy and martin short another very well respected comedian great impressionist the best Correct. comedians uh i are, think can so. do impressions i was no one's earlier, better than eddie i once uh, hung with billy uh, crystal daryl hammond at the yep. olive tree and he was so, so giving talented. and helped me work sweet on impressions guy. and everything sweet guy i know you want to get out of here let's rush through i don't want to get out of here i have ice nieces cream waiting i get and it nephews i get it i get it can i read this as casey Kasem? you can Thinking of the stars, night after night, I begin to realize the stars are words, and all the innumerable words in the Milky Way are words, and so is this world too, and I realize that no matter where I am, whether in a little room full of thought or in this endless universe of stars and mountains, it's all in my mind. I'm Casey Kasem. That was actually nice. Um, hard to focus. Hard on to with focus the on. Thinking of the stars night after night, I begin to realize the stars are words, and all the innumerable world. Oh, sorry, is it wor- stars are words or worlds? I think that's a typo. Maybe worlds. Probably a typo. Yeah. So the stars are worlds. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. And all the innumerable worlds in the Milky Way are worlds and so is this world too it's definitely a world yeah it's gotta be a world and i realize that no matter where i am whether in a little room full of thought or in this endless universe of stars and mountains it's all in my mind yeah that's interesting everything is a world every person is a world every Mm -hmm. person is a world every person is a universe and then there are universes upon universes and and just it is an infinite endless universe that we are living in yeah which which again minimizes and makes us all realize that we are nothing it's all it's all pointless i don't think it's pointless no, because no i don't our, think it's pointless yeah, either, our job just, in fact our job as a human race is to 
according to God and the Torah, is to heal the world, tikkun olam, and correct the world and correct humanity and make it perfect and perfect it. So we do matter in what we do and contribute to each other, to society, to humanity, to the world is important, but we are insignificant as balls. Mm-hmm. Quotes. But to yeah. your brother, balls were very significant. He loved balls. <laughs> he couldn't have been more. He would think balls are the most significant thing. By the way, just for one quick second to go off topic, I thought you came from a showbiz family because I remembered reading that your parents were talent agents. Is that- right, so well, that's what we didn't finish. When my younger brother started doing jingles as a kid, mm-hmm. my father started representing him and, and retired from the teaching business and the ah. school system. And other kids and parents would go, oh, can you manage my son? And they started a little mom and pop gold star talent management agency. Ah. So he repped my brother and other people and, and people that went on to like TV series like Sam Levine who did Freaks and Geeks and Broadway shows and commercials. But it was always a little mom and pop thing he never yeah. had any sort of great success with it it was always out of his kitchen you know whatever and, like, then, and now he owns ICM now he owns ICM no right. then yeah then they got a little office in a one room and da, 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 and could barely pay the rent of that little office mm-hmm. when it left the kitchen and and yes no so he, was he at your at some point your manager as well not really maybe a little bit because my older brother also mm-hmm. joined his business he was like oh we'll start managing you but I always had a comedy manager. First, Barry Katz, now Willie Mercer, the great, legendary Willie Mercer. It's a good way to control your kids. You manage them. Yeah. That's funny. But but the truth is, yeah. that's why you say showbiz family. No, they're teachers who started representing kids to do commercials and voiceovers. So a low-level showbiz. Low, low-level. <laughs> and again, I, I didn't even grow up with that. Yeah. That was I was already like a teenager when he started that stuff. Uh-huh. And I had already start. I was just starting to do stand up a few years after my younger brother. No, maybe like five or so years after my younger brother was already killing it in commercials and voiceovers on Broadway and this and that. And then I started doing stand up at like fifteen, sixteen. And by then, dad's like, "I got to sign this. I got to sign this kid. Who's yeah. this kid?" <laughs> and then, um, but believe me, no nepotism and no help. Yeah. I mean, I've had no help. It sounds like it's worked against you. It no, no. I'm just yeah. That's funny. Make, yeah, go ahead. But I've had no help. Um, all of life is a foreign country. This is, by the way, a quote from Jack Kerouac. All of life is a foreign country. Yeah, because you don't know where you are and you feel lost. Most of the times in life, you just walk around feeling lost. And for me, I never have the currency. That's hilarious. <laughs> when you lose your reason. You attain highest perfect knowing. So when you lose your reason, reasoning is sort of figuring things out, being, having reason, dissecting. You attain highest perfect knowing. Do you understand that? No. Otherwise I would have jumped in with something. Yeah, when you lose your reason, Uh I guess your reason is your, maybe it's like the front brain versus like you know what i mean left brain right brain whatever it is frontal lobe whatever it is like maybe reason is like what you see in front of you and when you lose that you attain your highest level of perfect knowing it sounds like something from drugs right there it, it it's sounds literally like, like i'm on mushrooms now and right. now i'm but, knowing but i mean things. it sounds like it sounds like a something you would say 
you know, like uh, after doing like peyote or something, right? Like, yeah, it's like, no, it's an yeah. ayahuasca trip. Right. But yeah, let me just yeah. say this. The sentence also goes with our imuna, with our faith, because when you lose your reason, it is irrational and unreasonable to believe in God because we don't see him or we don't experience any miracles today or whatever. But when you lose that reason and you go, no, it's beyond ration and reason it is full, perfect knowing when you know God exists. Wow. That I God love, is one. I love how you did that. Yeah. And and uh, and you made it relatable to yeah. me. Yeah. And you know it perfectly. Mm -hmm. That is perfect knowing you know God right. exists. Right. But it's beyond your reason. Right. It's so and unreasonable. And that's why I got so much uh, pushback from, yeah, from, it's the ridiculous. from the rational community. Right. Some of the smartest people on earth are atheists. Mm -hmm. But you know who's smarter than any atheist? Ramban, Rambam, Maimonides, you know, yeah. these greatest, greatest Jewish rabbis that, who figured out I, astrology, astronomy without When I was transitioning, telescope. so to speak, from, yeah. from not religious You're person. You're trans. That's why I love the trans. Uh, yeah, I, I appreciate the support. Go ahead. But when I transitioned from someone who was not only not religious, but had become sort of anti-religious, um, uh, and I kind of against my will was being pulled back into it by a girlfriend who was purposely not Jewish. Like I didn't want to go anywhere near the religion. Right. And now she's converting to Judaism. And I'm like, w I can't escape this. What's going on? And I was like uh, fighting with myself. Like part of me loved it. Part of me resented it. And I remember this complex uh, equation of some of the brilliant people being atheists and some of the brilliant people right. being God believers. And right. I realized, okay, this isn't an intelligence thing. It's not an intelligence yeah. thing. Yeah. It's so not an intelligence this thing. This is not, this isn't based some on intellect. Some of the smartest intellect. folks in the world are atheists from Bill Maher to yeah. Hutchins, all these people, and brilliant it's, writers. It's are, very hard to wrap your mind around something like that intelligence is not a factor. It's not a factor. Isn't that weird? It's like It is weird. You would think that a smart person I'm going to trust that smart person who said there is no god. Like, yeah. Well, you can also, you know, talk about speaking of the Milky Ways and the galaxies, something you can't see, mm -hmm. you know exists. Mm -hmm. And we didn't know uh, for a long period of time as as human beings. And then all of a sudden there were enough telescopes and trips out there where they went, do you know that there's a vast universe of billions and trillions of Milky Ways? Mm -hmm. And we're only seeing the tip of them. But now we know for a fact that they exist. So that's the same with God. And I, I made know. the religious more religious and the atheists more atheists. Yeah, which right. is weird, but everyone <laughs> sticks to their own little thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Atheism, I think, is also an emotional thing. I think you have to grow up a certain way to be, I think there's a certain, um, yeah, like a childhood, either a disconnect or an anger or you're abused or something that makes you turned off. Maybe. To, ah, there's no God. Maybe a high level of skepticism, but I think there's a high level of yeah. skepticism in religion as well. Like, yeah. You know, you have to be very skeptical. That's like the whole uh, Talmud is, you know, you have all these skeptics going through everything yes. and uh, they're all skeptics. skeptical yeah. of this one and that one. And it's true. So, but what is the attainment of highest perfect knowing? Believing in God. I could tell you that right now. I saw this is, is the this final the one. Quote? This yeah. is it. Okay. I saw that my life was a vast, glowing, empty page. And I could do anything I wanted. Well, yeah. In other words, I can write my story. Mm -hmm. It's an empty canvas. 
so easy to forget that though, isn't it? Oh, it's so easy to forget that you are the one writing your story. You are in charge. And I was talking about this the other day. Like, well, this comedian's doing that and this comedian. Oh, no, no, no. I don't compete with other comedians. I only compete with myself. And you write your own story and you do your best. But there is no, there is sure every now and then a part goes to someone else that you could have gotten and then mm-hmm. you're competing with another actor or comedian or whatever. But ultimately, it's an, it's a empty page, empty canvas. You write and paint your life, your image, your portrait, and you compete with yourself and you do your best. Good night, everybody. <laughs> I've got to go feed a five-year-old. And an eight-year-old Elon, go, ice cream. Uh, frozen yogurt, to be exact. Go enjoy your frozen yogurt. I think uh, we did very well on today's podcast, Bus. Yeah. This will be the promo. Yeah. I think we did very well on today's podcast, Bus, with Elon Gold and Daniel... Lobel. Lobel. Yeah. I knew that. It's okay. I just had a brain fart. <laughs> Thank you so much for Good night, America. Here. By the way, I... Uh, I think you're a success. I, I you. believe you are a success. You whether and you, my mother. Whether you, uh, yeah, you, my mom, you're probably get along. Uh, yes. And thank you for this. You'll come around to Fair it. enough. I'll come around to believing I'm a success. But in the meantime. Um, I do drive a Tesla. <laughs> How bad of a failure can I be? Uh, thanks so much for doing this show. I thank really appreciate you. it. I appreciate you and everything you're doing. And I like this concept of picking apart. We should have gone to the philosophy earlier. Me talking about stupid stories. I liked it. I liked all, right. all of it. I liked your stories. But you know what we didn't get to, which we'll save for last time? For last time? For next time, sorry. Yeah, okay. <laughs> for last time. Last time. We'll save it for last time. The time that didn't happen before <laughs> this. You know what we have to save? What's that? I want to hear. In fact, I would do an hour on just Jackie Mason stories that you had working I've got with them. some good ones. Okay, That's we'll next, do it next time. time. All right. We'll see you next time. That was hey. fun. Yeah. Well, I didn't know. Thank you, everybody, for tuning into the show. That's it for today. Thank you, Elon Gold. Please be sure to check him out. See him live. Say what's up. Tweet at him. Tell him you heard him on the show. Maybe tweet at Mark Marin and tell him to have him on the show. Uh, I will be performing in Aruba this week. I don't know if anybody who tunes in is from Aruba, but I will be there. I'll be in New York Thursday night, but that's sold out. Uh, And then... I will be in Las Vegas coming up later uh, in April. And I will be putting those dates out on Twitter at Daniel Lobel. And you can pick up my comic books at fairenoughcomic.com. Thank you for tuning in, and I'll see you next season with a phenomenal lineup of comedians for the new season of Modern Day Philosophers. Talk to you then. Bye for now.